Welcome to the Misfit Messengers podcast, hosted by Jenny Moffitt and Amanda Hoshite. All right, so here we are, another episode of this fabulous podcast thing that we do. So we're we're on a Sunday afternoon, and I will tell you, I I am comfortable on my couch. Looks I like mean, I'm currently wearing a nightgown, and it's three in the afternoon, so. Well, it's almost well, four. almost four, almost four, I guess. <laughs> well, I don't know about you, but well, you said it was cold earlier. It's been raining here all day, so like it I'm... is, it is cold and dreary, and it was uh, I just needed a uh, a cozy bit of flannel and uh, a hot cup of coffee. So you know, there Sometimes we are. That's that's what you need. I am I am enjoying a nice relaxing Sunday afternoon on the couch. My puppy is not feeling good, so he's sleeping. Anyway, so. Well, last week, we kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Like floated the idea of what we'd be talking about next. And so we're going to, we're going to have a few weeks here where we talk about emotionally healthy spirituality. There's a, a book, a workbook, a devotional book. There's a bunch of stuff on emotionally healthy spirituality um, that's out there. And I think that as I grow in Christ, one of the things that, you can accomplish, you can keep accumulating knowledge, right? But that doesn't necessarily garner you maturity. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Absolutely. Yeah, this was uh this kind of idea was something I was kind of voluntold to do. Highly encouraged by leadership. I don't know. Well, of course I know why, because we if you've met me, you'd know why. Uh, <laughs> but um, but it's it's a good thing. It's saying you you really it's well on the front of the book. So this is a book. It's by Sp- Peter uh, Scazzaro, although his um, his wife gave a lot of contributions to it as well. But saying it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Yeah. That our our emotional life, our mind, our will, our is 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 directly connected to our spiritual life. Which makes sense, right? It does. Um, it's one of those things, you know, I always thought when I was growing up that adults had just like, you got to a certain birthday and you, it just happened, right? Like you just became mature at a certain birthday. Just like, Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, like it was a snap of the fingers kind of a thing. Oh, you're 18 now or 20. Well, fill in the blank of what age it is, right? But then it just, you became mature. And I realized that when I hit some of those milestone year marks that it doesn't actually work like that. I heard someone say that most of being an adult is just pretending you're an adult. <laughs> there you go. Sometimes. I don't know. Think back to, I think back to my parents and I, it just, it feels like they were, they were always mature. Like they were responsible. They had good wise wisdom to share with things. They would, you know, speak just great things into situations in my life. You know, when you're a kid and you're freaking out about the dumbest things. Um, and I, you know, look at other adults in my life, whether they were teachers or other relatives. I'm like, oh, this just must happen. Like when you get to a certain age, you just become mature. And the fact is, it's not remotely how that works. It takes some effort. It takes some work. It takes some some practice and training to become mm. mature. And I think there is some some differences in how the world 
has progressed generation to generation as to how there's a little bit of a difference now then mm. think about generations before even before our parents our grandparents our great grandparents maturity came earlier i i think then in certain respects because you had to grow up faster mm-hmm. you know you started families earlier you went to work earlier you you know all of those things now one could argue the the kind of level of maturity or what they were mature in right oh yeah um, were they actually mature emotionally or was it just they were kind of rigid in their emotions that makes sense oh sure so i think i think suppression is uh at least in the american culture suppression yeah uh, is huge is just huge well if you're mature you're stoic right yeah you, you don't, don't feel anything yeah you just certainly not anything strongly like mm-hmm. whoa slow down mm-hmm. calm down whatever that emotion you're feeling it's quite unnecessary i assure you i was watching um enola holmes are you familiar with the enola yeah holmes? oh yeah uh, Dorothy had the graphic novels, all the graphic novels. Nice. I, I actually thought Netflix did a really good job. There's two movies. Um, she, Enola Holmes is the sister to Sherlock Holmes. And at one point, um, Enola is trying to solve this case. And Sherlock goes, now, no emotions, stop being emotion or something like that. And then later on in the you know movie, Enola flips it on Sherlock to, Sherlock, you don't need to be emotional. And that was that was how you were mature emotionally, right? Mm -hmm. You just didn't show emotion, but that's not emotional maturity. That's like you said, suppression. That's like pushing it down and just saying it doesn't exist. We're going to be Balkan or something, you know? Okay. You, 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 I mean, obviously you weren't really around at this time, but so there is a painting that was made, I think, in the late '60s, early '70s, of Jesus laughing. Have you ever heard seen? Yes, yes. Okay, when that painting came out, it caused a huge stir. Like, no, irreverent, right? Don't we don't draw Jesus? And you guys can Google it. Jesus laughing. It's a beautiful painting of just him laughing. Yeah. But but it like caused some feelings for some people, <laughs> like. That is not how we show our savior. Right. Like he was. Well, what ends up happening with emotional re- repression, suppression, is you pack it into this wad, right? You just keep packing it in, packing it in, packing it in. And eventually that's not going to be very healthy. Right. Hmm. To be honest, right. yeah. go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. I was just gonna. To be honest, so this book, I am not completely through this book yet because I'm trying to take it a little slow and and work through it and things. And so, Amanda, I'm really like leaning on you for for your knowledge and expertise in this that uh, I don't quite have because this, chapter- this is actually a book I was required to read that I did read. I yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, they passed me through CFOT, but I didn't read all those books. So, skim them, skim them. I read almost all of them. I think there was just of course you did, and then I just relied on the thing. (laughs) Anyway, this one I actually have read. I've actually read now twice, but 
that's that's why I'm like relying upon some of the fill in the blank stuff. But but what I've read thus far, especially in the in the first chapter, talking about emotionally unhealthy spirituality and how again we can know a whole bunch of things about scripture. We can know a whole bunch of things about Jesus. We can have followed him for a whole lot of years of our lives. We can have great prayer lives, wonderful devotional lives. But if we don't have mature, emotional, healthy lives, Mm. then it makes it like it's hard to be fully mature in Christ if we don't have a handle on emotional maturity. Right. So these are the chapters. There's eight chapters. So maybe we'll do, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Maybe we'll do all eight. But um, the chapters are the the problem with emotionally unhealthy spirituality, knowing yourself that you might know God, going back to go forward, journeying through the wall, enlarging your soul through grief and loss, discovering the daily the rhythms of daily office and Sabbath, growing into an emotionally mature adult, and developing a rule of life. So those are the different chapters. But the first thing is we can't fix things that we don't acknowledge are an issue, right? So what? So when we're talking about emotionally unhealthy spirituality, what does that look like for you, Jenny? Well, I think for a good long while it looked like suppressing emotions, especially things that I equated with negative emotions, right? Fear, anger, resentment, mm-hmm. uh, struggled with conflict. Um, you know, conflicts always felt like conflict was unhealthy. Um, and there are, don't get me wrong. There are unhealthy conflicts, but there are also healthy conflicts, right? There are times when, when conflict can be a good thing if you do it right. Um, but a lot of times, yeah, I just, any strong emotion that I put kind of in the, um, at least even if it was not overtly quote unquote negative, but, but an undesired emotion, I would just say, nope, just going to shut that down and put that in a little box and stuff it in my closet, right? And so what would end up happening, because you'd stuff it and stuff it and stuff it and stuff it for so long, that one day, out of the, seemingly to everyone in the room, out of the blue, the straw that broke the camel's back would occur, right? The one thing too many would cause that stuffed box full of emotions that I had suppressed for so long would come bursting out in this explosion mm. of emotions that were uncontrolled and unhealthy. And to be fair, I, I was a, I was mature enough in other respects that I didn't necessarily let it like explode for like a long period, but like it would shock everybody in the room. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I, me angry, like when that box would go, I can be a scary individual. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but that's not healthy. That's not a healthy way, especially Mm -hmm. given the fact that it was a completely inappropriate level of response for the situation that I was in. Right. But it was all because I didn't, respond in a healthy way to the 752 items or the 12 items whatever mm-hmm. it was on the given day that I suppressed or stuffed it into this little box for too long and then the that one event would like open the trap door and nope here, here you get to 
experience the repressed emotions from the last 17 hours. And our author actually had a lot of that. So reading the first chapter, uh, Pete, Pete Scazzaro is from New York, and he is from a typical Italian-American background. Yep. Um, and he was really under the impression, you know, when, when he became a Christian, that his old life was totally dead, that yep. he didn't have to deal with any outlying things from his family, that he would just follow up to Christ and everything would be hunky-dory. Well, um, it turned out he was a lot more like his family than he was willing to admit. And what happened is as his church grew, he overextended himself and he got involved in all these things and he had this face that he put on when he's doing ministry, this good Christian leader face. Right. And so he'd be suppressing things throughout. If, if things were irritating or whatever, um, instead of taking those things to God in the moment or talking about them with someone like this, these things are bothering me because children of God don't get bothered by, especially by ministry. So right. he would, <laughs> Because that wouldn't be good, right? So he would he would suppress and suppress. And it was coming out at a place um, he didn't intend to, which was essentially with his wife and kids. Um, and his breaking point was when his wife said, I don't, I don't respect your spiritual authority. I'm not going to attend your church anymore. Right. As a pastor's wife. As, as a, whoa. <laughs> and he realized I actually have some, some work some work I have I have to do. Yeah. Um, in the in the workbook, which you haven't done, it akins this emotionally healthy, unhealthy. Uh, the, their example person is Saul. King Saul. As an example, King Saul. Okay. King Saul, the first king of Israel, as their emotionally um, unhealthy person. I could I could see that. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, um, so it says here, when we ignore the emotional component in our lives, we move through the motions of Christian disciplines, actions, and behaviors, but deeply rooted, our behavioral patterns from our past continue to hinder us from an authentic life. Mm -hmm. Um, kind of a pull in an Esther for such a time, yep. uh, where you live matters, where this era matters, your family of origin matters the town you live in matters um all of it matters and all of it plays a part whether or not you want to or not you need to know those things so we often neglect to reflect on what's going on inside of us which is our emotional health right what that's what's going on in us and as a result we are too busy to slow down and then we run the high risk of remaining stuck as spiritual infants so we classify people as spiritual infants spiritual kids spiritual teens and spiritual adults okay. um one of his church members described it as this i i thought i was a christian for i thought i was a christian for 22 years i thought i was a 22 year old christian but it turned out i was just a one-year-old christian 22 times right never growing deep just doing the same things over and over and over and again, going back to, it's not accumulation of knowledge. So he also mm -hmm. has a graph in the book where, you know, you have different components of your life, right? You have your physical life, your spiritual life, your intellectual life, your social life, and then your emotional life. And you need to grow in maturity in all of those areas, mm -hmm. right? Just like 
you know, like you said, an infant to a toddler to, you know, a young child to a teenager to an adult, that's a physical progression, right? You wouldn't ask an infant to do the same sort of physical things that you'd ask an adult. But when scripture talks about, you guys should be adults now, but I need to feed you spiritual milk. Well, there's a spiritual and emotional component to our growth in Christ as well and our maturity. And I, I, I feel as though when I look at the church and I look at my own spiritual well-being and my spiritual growth, that this emotional component is a pretty big aspect of, of lack of maturity within the churches and, and even within my own walk. So that's something that I've been kind of pursuing the last year and a half or so. Um, because again, from an outward perspective, 90% of the time we look okay, right? It's, it's the iceberg thought, right? That mm -hmm. there's 90% below the surface that people don't see because they only see what we are like in groups or in church or preaching or on the podcast or, mm -hmm. you know, those types types of things, but what happens the rest of the time and what happens when we're stressed and what happens when we're overwhelmed by emotions, fear, grief, sorrow, resentment, anger, frustration, all of those things. We can't just say, oh, we shouldn't feel them because that's not the healthy response. <laughs> right. The healthy response is no, we need to feel them. Why are we feeling them? How are we feeling them? Let's lean into these and figure out healthy responses to them. Right. It's a tool. Just like when I feel thirsty, it is my body's cue that it needs something. It needs water. Right. right? Um, our bodies have signals that they send out saying, I need things. Um, when I was pregnant with my first son, I kept craving weird things like chalk, um, like, like um, chalk, or a whiteboard or like chalkboard i mean yeah. and uh and and raw steak now obviously i didn't go out and buy a big pack of of uh chalk and steak but i remember talking with my doctor saying i don't know what it is but like i feel like i could just devour a gigantic t-bone as big as my head completely raw they said oh actually we actually know what that is chalk uh is uh that you are calcium deficient and Steak is that you are iron deficient. Makes so sense. just get some calcium and iron and you'll be fine. But, oh, okay. Now that I know how to read those cues properly. Now, the cue my body was telling me was not actually what I needed, right? I didn't need chalk. Right. I, I needed calcium. Um, when we're getting these emotional responses of everything, I, everything that's happening right now is making me angry. Mm -hmm. Every single, like, I don't know what it is. No one's really done anything or said to me, but every little thing is making me angry. That is a, a a response to something that is lacking. Right. Right. It's a cue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we have to learn how to read them in a mature way versus right. just saying, well, I'm just angry and everyone else in the whole world just has to deal with it. <laughs> right. I don't think that's a terribly healthy response. It is not. <laughs> so, so you, so somebody might be saying, well, he lists top 10 symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. I want to go into those if that's okay. Perfect. Um, just, just naming them. I don't want to go into all of them in detail and then talk a little bit more about Saul. Yeah. If Sounds that's good. okay with you. Sounds like a plan. All right. So, um, and, and people listening like this, maybe you to a T 
this you may resonate with none of these things but um one thing i've been learning recently especially with spiritual disciplines and things is that there is no arrival right. there's never there's never a time when you're like oh i have completely mastered this spiritual discipline um is it you I just read from philippians chapter three today in my sermon not that i've attained all this or have accomplished right, all, right? yep and yeah then- so um the the destination is actually the journey i mean i know that's super cliche but it is we're going we're going deeper than we were and there is always a deeper than you were because you know the, the the more you undercover the mystery the more mysteries you find Also a little bit of string theory, but we won't get into that. But similar, you know. Yes. The more I uncover, the more is there. Right. The more Um, you know, the more you know you don't know. Yep. Which is also maturity. Yes. Right? Because every 16-year-old I've ever met knows everything. Correct. And adults are the stupidest, especially their parents. Dumbest people they've ever met. Right? It's when you start to reach, like, about 25 that you're like, Oh, and your brain is actually fully developed now. Oh, oh, I, I don't know everything. But then, when you're 25, you're like, "But I still can." And then you hit 35, and you're like, "Oh." <laughs> and then you hit no. Anyway, yeah, we can't speak of things we don't know yet. But that's true. I'll get 35 is my cap, but <laughs> not getting uh any more clear as I. As I age, yeah, all right. These are top- older than you. It doesn't get any clearer. <laughs> all right. According to Pete Scazzaro, here is the top ten symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Number one, and this is on page twenty-two, Jenny. Number yep. one, using God to run from God. Therefore, making yourself so busy doing good Christiany things that you're supposed to do, and you do that as a deflection of actually doing the hard stuff on yourself. Okay, so using God to run from God. Ignoring anger, sadness, and fear. We've already talked about that a lot. Because those, those are the bad feelings, and those are ones we're never supposed to feel. Even though Jesus felt all of those. Um, three, dying to the wrong things. Um, this is kind of the people who just never have fun. <laughs> And they just, the older they get, they think being mature is just being a sourpuss. That's a paraphrase of, of that, but that's, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, four, denying the impact of past on the present. Again, that was old. The new has come. I don't need to unpack those things or deal with past sin or deal with the sin of my parents onto me or just whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, dividing life number five dividing life into secular and sacred compartments um that i have my church face and my not church face or um that kind of stuff six doing for god instead of being with god similar kind of to number one um but just kind of a lot of just doing in works-based salvation. Um, seven, spiritualizing away conflict. Because all conflict is bad, right? Just the enemy coming into the camp or whatever they say. Um, 
Eight, covering over. So which is trying to hide brokenness, weakness, or failure. Nine, living without limits. I'm free, right? Well, and also no boundaries. Yeah, no boundaries. Um, because God loves me, I can do X, Y, Z. Because whatever. His love covers everything. Um, and 10, judging other people's spiritual journeys. So those again, using God to run from God. Number two, ignoring anger, sadness, fear. Three, dying to the wrong things. Four, denying the impact of the past on the present. Five, dividing your life into secular or sacred. Six, doing for God instead of being for God. Seven, spiritualizing away conflict. Eight, covering over brokenness, weakness, and failure. Nine, living without limits. Ten, judging other people. There's their spiritual progress, good, bad, or otherwise. And I think this, these make sense. And we tend to minimize the impact of them mm -hmm. and chalk it up to, well, we're just human. Well, that is true. We are, quote unquote, just human. However, are we neglecting maturing in these areas because that would require some hard work? If I just read my Bible more, that should solve all these problems, right? If I just pray more, that'll solve all my problems, right? If I just attend more conferences and retreats and read more books, this will solve all of my dilemmas. Well, the fact is that it won't. Like that's not, those are not solutions to emotional immaturity. Can more information about the Bible and reading scripture and quoting scripture and memorizing scripture help? Yes. But there's other aspects to our emotional life and other aspects of our life in maturity that we need to address to help us gain maturity in Christ. One of the things, oh, you keep, keep talking. I got to go look something up. Give me a second. <laughs> I was right in the middle of your thought. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but I, I have to go find the verse. It's in Ephesians, but I got to go. I don't have my Bible like on the couch with me. Okay, so like we said, um, so King Saul is Pete Cazero uses as his example of emotional immaturity. Now, I don't know if um, if you guys have been in the story of First uh, Samuel in a while. Um, it's actually something I've just recently done. But... Um, Saul was one, he, he was kind of thrust into power, okay? Absolutely thrust into power. He didn't ask for that. He didn't ask for it. He didn't want it. He just was tall and handsome, and that was enough for Samuel at the time to say, okay, this guy seems all right, you know? And uh, when we first meet him in First King of Israel uh, with Samuel, um, King Saul had been, in, sorry. Oh, sorry. That's something different. Okay. Well, I'm going to, I'm talking a little bit about first Samuel 15, seven through 24. Okay. And so God tells him to do something here. He tells him to go in and attack the Amechalites and totally destroy everything belongs to him. I'm not going to get into that, but pretty much annihilate this whole group of people. Right. Okay. So it says, no, Amechalites were really bad, man. We'll go more into that, but they were. So um, 
God tells him to go do this, but this is actually what happens. This is first Samuel 15, seven to 24. It says Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur near the Eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag king of the Amalekites alive and all of the other people. Um, in fact, some say the worthless people <laughs> he destroyed with sword. But Saul and the army spared Agog and the best of the sheep and the cattle and the fats of lambs and everything that was good. And they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Oh, there it is. Just kidding. <laughs> then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret I made Saul king because he has turned away from me and not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. So early in the morning, Samuel got up, went to meet Saul, but he was told... Saul is going to Carmel. So there he went. And there he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down to Gilgal. So when Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I've carried out <laughs> all the instructions. Uh -huh. And Samuel said, oh, then what is the bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this hearing of cattle I hear? Oh, Samuel's a savage. And Saul answered, you know, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best sheep and cattle. Wasn't to, my fault. To, to sacrifice. They, that's why they did it. They sacrificed yeah. to the Lord. But but we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me. And he said, Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war on them until you've wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce and on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on a mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers and the sheep, the soldiers took the sheep and the cattle from the plunder. The best of which we devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel said, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obedience? To obey is better than sacrifice and to listen is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And then Saul said, I've sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instruction. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. All right, so just let me ask you, um, in what way do you think um, we can see a little bit of Sam, Saul's um, emotional immaturity and how we can see a little bit of Samuel's emotional maturity? Well, I think in a number of ways, but especially... Saul, not one, really wanting to look good in the eyes of the men, right? Because mm -hmm. he had a command from the Lord. And I think if you look at Saul's life prior to this moment, I really think he wanted to be obedient to the Lord. But I think he was pressured by his, his reputation amongst the men. And mm -hmm. you know, why should we obliterate all these things? Why should we annihilate these very good, you know, animals? And why should we kill everybody? I mean, that's, we can save some, we can plunder, we can have all these good things. And so Saul not having boundaries with his men, like, no, dude, I'm king. This is mm -hmm. what God has commanded us. But also, if indeed this, he's, you know, built the altar to himself, it's his 
his accomplishments have gone to his head as though he is the one perpetuating these things. And so he's, again, going based on the people's opinion of him. Like, oh, I mean, that you look at Saul's life later on. He gets so cranky when <laughs> they start singing the songs about Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. And right. there's a song and Saul gets mad and prideful and fearful that, oh, they're going to love David more than they love me. And just very emotionally immature. Mm-hmm. And then as far as Samuel, I mean, he gets angry with Saul and prays all night about it, right? Like mm-hmm. investigates what does the Lord want in this? What is, how should I respond to Saul? And then he, he does it in, I, Samuel is just cracks me up. <laughs> Oh, you did everything the Lord asked, huh? How come I'm hearing sheep? Like, <laughs> it just reminds me of like, so when I have kids in the church, one of the rules is not to run. And sometimes I'll hear them running and I say, oh, I I, I could have sworn I, I heard running, but couldn't possibly be true because all of the kids in this church know that we don't run. So I, I think I must be hearing things, but I think I'll have to pay a little closer attention just to make sure, you know, they're like, oh, they all stop. And that kind of... Exactly. exactly but yeah so so in this we see samuel we see him get angry we see him grieved and we see a confrontation right but in none of those areas did he fall into emotional unhealthiness or sin or or sin right, right? he takes it to the lord he consults the lord with what to say and he goes and he has boldness to say to say it to say what he has to say Right. And but, confronts, but, think about this. Samuel confronts the king. Yeah. That's speaking truth to power. And, and I'm not saying that, that God calls each one of us to do that, but I think sometimes we back away from conflict. Well, regardless of whether or not that person has power, sometimes we 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 don't want conflict at all, right? We just have to oh to be spiritual means that you'll just be a doormat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's an actually very unhealthy way of living life to be, a, to be a doormat that you just have to acquiesce to everything people request of you. That's that life without limits thing that Pete talks about is right. Have to set boundaries and we have to sometimes as much as we might not like conflict, we've got to step into that. We've got to say again, healthy and mature not the kind of conflict where you yell and scream and belittle and bring in all of the you know every every past event that has ever occurred that has led to this point no conflict for the time and for the place and the circumstance that you're in so right and so in this story so the 10 things that i listed out the ones that we see in this story are dying to the wrong things because he wanted to make the name of, of, of Israel great in the complete wrong way. Um, we see him dividing his life into secular and sacred, right? Do we really think that he saved all the best cows for sacrifice? Maybe. Nah, probably not, though. Um, also, um, uh, one of the reasons he kept Agag alive was it was common practice for a disgraced king to become the slave of the new of the king who conquered him. Right. As a as a as a shame thing. Right. Totally what he was going to do to Agag. Right. Now later Samuel goes all Jedi and takes care of it. But uh, 
Um, well, but but up in the story of Esther, because Haman is a agagite. Right. So it's there's consequences to this not happening. Yeah. So hey, if they the whole thing with Esther and trying to complete a genocide, agagite could have been resolved way back here. And of course, why Haman hated Jewish people because they wiped out his family. Classic um, villain story. Super classic villain story. Um, also, if you think your comic books are the classic villain stories, you're wrong. They're in the Bible. We got it from the scripture, from the Bible. Um, okay, also, number six, doing for God instead of being with God. Doing the things you think God wants you to do, but you actually don't know because you haven't spent any time with him. Right. And honestly, think about what Samuel says to Saul. Did was it sacrifice uh, sacrifices I wanted? No, I wanted obedience. Mm-hmm. I wanted you to just be with me. I just wanted. I mean, ah. <laughs> right. Jesus or uh, uh, King David, uh, broken and contrite heart is what is what God wants. Psalm fifty one. Anyway, keep going. Um, then covering over brokenness, weakness, and failure. Big one right there. Oh, it was. It's not a big deal. Well, we did everything God wanted. It's not yeah. me. It's those guys. They they're the yeah. ones who yeah. I didn't do it. Like, it. It was the men. The men did it. Yeah, the men that you're in charge of, like those men. Okay. <laughs> and then number nine, living without limits. Yeah. And no boundaries. So we see all of those just in that one little passage of scripture. Mm-hmm. And we see it later on in in, um, in Saul's life, like you said. Um, get jealousy becomes a big marker. Um, the more that Saul tries to hold on to his position, the more it slips through his fingers like sand. Just the right. more he tries to control and hold on and conspire, like the worse it gets until eventually he actually is all overcoming, kills himself because he cannot face his failure. Um, that's a bummer. But there are, but. We don't have to look that far, even in our own mirrors, when we're emotionally unhealthy. Um, I know even in my in my own heart, I have to. I have to keep guard of of when there are things in my life that are that are like I said, when I'm thirsty, there are areas in my life when I start to feel or sense or think that are indicators of me that I'm tapping into a resource that isn't God, which is usually my my reserve, which is family of origin um um what is it hungry angry lonely tired (laughs) um what do i know the examples that i might have had good bad or otherwise and when i see myself tapping into those resources instead of the resources of god i can realize that i'm starting to operate out of an emotionally unhealthy place and this isn't saying emotionally corrupt or emotionally crippled right it's just unhealthy. Right. I mean, there's definitely degrees of unhealthiness. Mm-hmm. And you can get to some pretty deep levels of unhealthiness. But this is why this is why we we need to see it for what it is. That because and we're gonna talk about that in subsequent weeks, but when you understand it in yourself and can see it in yourself, then you can do something because you can acknowledge, oh my gosh, I am I tr- I handled that situation with that coworker badly because I'm feeling massive insecurity because of X, Y, and Z. Okay, what am what am I needing so that I don't 
feel so insecure so that I can overcome this. So I don't respond in this uh, ugly way to this situation. Right. Right. And we, and we only know those things when we acknowledge our feelings okay. and don't make excuses for them. Right. And certainly acknowledge not the blame. Like, well, you made me feel that way. Yeah. No. <laughs> Today and Sunday, um, I don't, you know, I know we've been up for a little while, so I don't want to go too much. We talked about David and Bathsheba today. So we've been going through Book of Samuel, which is why um just kind of been through Saul. We're on David. David's been going great. Um, Just had a beautiful story about him and Mephibosheth, which is Saul's grandson who he, David finds. Um hidden away in a house crippled and brings him back into the table kind of adopts him like a son restores his land inheritance beautiful story go straight into Bathsheba <laughs> like after that you're like what um but with David we were talking about it was little things that built up right so first if you're familiar with the story David doesn't go to war so he's taken the season off whatever okay but, it was but, dead, it but he's not going with He's not going with. He sent somebody else in charge. He just needed a break. That's nothing wrong with taking a break. But it might sh probably should have been an indication for him. There's something going on, a disconnect that's happening. And I'm not. So then he goes, he can't sleep. He goes up at night. At, so he gets up from his bed at night, goes up to the roof to think. There is the woman bathing. Now, she's not flaunting herself or anything. She's actually in her ritualistic time. She can't enter back into her house after her menstrual cycle until she's ritually purified herself. So she does it on the roof because you can't go back in her house. David is at an elevated place. He's playing Peep and Tom. Gross, but that's what's happening. Right? That could be a sign. Oh, I lingered longer than I meant to. Okay? That's a sign something is amiss. Right. Not only that, then he starts thinking about her all the time to the point where he's like, I got to find out who she is. That should be a sign. Okay. Not only that, then he finds out who she is. Now, then he calls for her. Oh, we're just going to chat or I'm just going to find out what, what not what happened. Okay. So then they sleep together, most likely through. Um, well, there's a power dynamic. So. Right doesn't say i'm but not sure Bathsheba could have told him no there's a power differential okay right he is the king yada yada okay some people put i bet but the even at this time david doesn't even refer to her by her name he refers to her as that woman um right warning sign so then she gets pregnant well he's like odd darn you know so then he calls for his um and like the servants went and got her. It's not like, so what would have happened is Bathsheba would have been found pregnant. It would have been found that it was not her husband's baby because she had just come from her time of purification and she would have been stoned for adultery. Yeah. So she goes to David and says, we have, I have a problem essentially. Yeah. So um, David could have stoned or whatever. He could have done a lot of things, but he's, he's, Thinks, oh no, you know what I'll do? I'll I'll call for her husband from the front lines. I'll try to convince him to sleep with her, and then everyone can think it's your eyes, baby, and everyone can go about their happy way. Right? That doesn't happen. Um, 
he tries twice to get Uriah to go sleep with his wife. Uriah is a righteous guy. He says, I can't I can't go and relax while the men are out in the fields. Right. What kind of man do you think I am? Oh, okay. Much better yeah. man than I was hoping for. Yeah. <laughs> right. So then he seals his death warrant, gives it to him to carry. Right. Then not only that, he tells Joab the general to put him in the worst part of the battle. So there's actually other casualties that die as a result. And then Joab says, well, if you start asking me why I started doing dumb military stuff, like coming right up to the wall, remember, oh, your goal of killing this one guy has happened. So, and so all of these times, right, it starts to snowball because it gets worse and worse and worse as you're trying to cover the little thing. But at those times, they were warning signs of something that was going on with him, which is a disconnect from God. Right. And so he starts acting in his complete flesh outside of God nature. Right. And it isn't until Nathan um, confronts him in a sin in a very smart way with a man had a lamb and a guy took it, even though he had all of the lambs. Like at this time, David had what? 10 wives and 20 concubines. Like uh, something. Yeah. Like, Not as many as his son, but he had a lot. He did have a lot. He, If he was feeling a kind yeah. of way on a roof, he could have... He had plenty of women. He had plenty of women to satisfy that feeling. And he chose to, to go for the the one he didn't have. The Well, and today they were like, why did he even go with her? And I said, because she's new and shiny. And he wanted to. And he could, because he had the power. Right. And why did he kill you, right? Because he could, and he had the power. But it shows the disconnect that even a man like David, who has um, killed Goliath, the anointed one of God, a man after God's own heart, if he can get to a place so emotionally disconnected from the things of God that he does something like this, right. um, then we shouldn't think that we are so far <laughs> up the spiritual ladder that we can't fall down absolutely absolutely and so on this continuum yeah there really isn't a an end point but we we're either moving in one of or two direct you know we're either moving yeah. closer or further yeah. um so the verse i was looking up when i kind of threw it back to you to talk to talk about saul was um from ephesians chapter 4 verse 13 it says this um this will continue, this is from the New Living Translation, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Oh, get it. That's the one. So, and another translation, because um, of God, I'm here. Um, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So this whole mature maturity aspect and the full measure of Christ, Christ was perfect, admittedly, right? He was fully man, but he was also fully God. And so, but we can also look at his life and say, okay, with the Holy Spirit's help, we can get closer than we are. And one of the things that helps us along the way is emotional maturity. And we can do that if we acknowledge that we need help and that yeah. we have emotional baggage and that we are emotional beings um, mm -hmm. that 
suppressing our emotions is not going to be a long-term solution. It, it, it might help in a very short, very short span of time, right? Like if you are in crisis emergency mode, like car accident, yes. Well, that's right. what? Fight or flight or freeze, those are real Correct. needed responses at the time. Correct. So in an emotional, emo like in an emergency moment, that's fine. But at some point, those emotions will come and they're not all bad. That is one thing I've, I'm growing to learn over the past they're, year. They're not even, they're not, none of them are actually bad. They are tools. Right. And they can teach us a lot of things. Like you said about the physical response, like we respond to emotions with our physical body. Think about when you're nervous, your palms may be sweat, your heart flutters or races, you get knots in your stomach. The same thing can happen with fear, with anger. Like I tend to, anytime I have a strong emotion of any emotion, I cry, right? If I'm angry, I cry. If I'm sad, I cry. If I'm fearful, I cry. If I'm happy, I cry. I just cry. And I hate crying publicly, so then I suppress it because I don't need to feel these strong feelings. And then I just like burst forth in mm -hmm. unpleasantness later on. I, I go the total other way. When faced with most emotions, I end up actually becoming completely numb. Oh. When I'm angry or sad or worried, I like just am like, I'm fine. Everything is fine. Yeah, not great. I mean, I, prob I do that I for a while, but then it hurts. Something. Yeah. It's ever angry. I do get angry. And then it usually comes out like that. People think I'm sad. And I'm like, no, I'm mad at you. And that makes me sad because you should be not making me mad. But. But a completely, you know, building a wall around emotions, right? Because I was raised in a, we're going to get to family origin in another segment, but I was raised, um, emotions are bad and manipulative. Yes. So I was raised, not, nothing against my father, but I was raised by a single man who had had a history of difficult women. And in his mind, emotions were manipulation. Women only cried. To manipulate. So when his small child is crying, it has triggered something in his brain to react in a way that taught me some very negative things about emotion, which has trained me to shut them off. Right. Because I don't want to manipulate people. Right. So I make myself as small as I can when when uh, faced with an emotional crisis. But I'm working through that too. So I'm like, I'm allowed to feel. Uh, right. But <laughs> it's okay to feel. You can feel. <laughs> but that'll oh, but okay. to unpack all that stuff, kind of going through this this stuff to say why why am I why is my response what it is? And what is and and I feel like God, um, this might be a good maybe ender for this, but God wants us to be full humans. And I know we've talked about this on the podcast. Um, or maybe we didn't, maybe it was a, I don't know, but God made us for earth. When he made humans, he made us for earth. We're not just flesh things that are just waiting on so our flesh can die and our spirits can go to heaven, right? 
Our flesh is not a prison. Right. That's a very Greek transcendental. Yeah. Anyway, go into yeah, but, but it's not. We're not just celestial right. beings waiting to be released from our flesh prisons. Yeah, that's how I'm going to phrase it. Uh, <laughs> God, awesome. God made us human. And all of the stuff that that entails. Um, people say to sin is human, but it's not. That's corrupted humanity. Right. To be human is to live in the fullness and presence of God. Now, there are things that have, have happened that have corrupted that and messed up the chain and the link. And the thing is, how can we give ourselves back to God so he can begin to repair those things so can, we can live full, free humans in his glory and in his plan there you go Whew. one one what? quick thing that i have because i think we we're past time so bear with us friends hopefully you'll listen through the whole thing i don't know if you've gotten this far congratulations good job buddies friends um but i just want to point out the fact that that amanda and i have had to work on this like we both came from situations and i'm not I'm not, I, I responded to my emotional lack of maturity in different ways than just numbness. But like we under, we got to a point where we understood that this was a need mm -hmm. for us to grow in Christ. We were going to have to tackle some of the emotional aspects of our maturing. Right. And we both said, "Ugh, gross. I remember this conversation. Correct. <laughs> we're like, I don't want to do this. Emotions suck. <laughs> And in fact, I I can speak for myself. I fought it. I was like, no, like I'm I'm good. I'm good just like trying to motor through this. It's fine. I'm just gonna muddle. But the fact is that that we I understood that God wanted more from from my relationship with him. And he expected more from me. Like again, I'm a very like, let's fill my brain with facts. Let's read more books. Let's study more greek and hebrew let's you know if i just get enough intellectual information i will be mature in christ and the fact is that that's one piece to the puzzle mm -hmm. and that god created us as full humans and full humanity has emotions we also mm -hmm. have social aspects like relational aspects that's another thing for another day but if you are in that boat where you're like oh yuck emotions Bear with us. Keep mm -hmm. with us the next few weeks because God intends for us to be to live lives in abundance and victory. And we That's can right. only do that when we become mature. And one of the aspects of maturity is emotional maturity. So. All right. Holy Good job on your, final, on your final thought. That was, a, that was a lot of stuff in yeah. 40 minutes, 45 minutes of, of and, stuff. And if we... So, and if I seem, I don't say we, if I seem like I'm jumping all over the place, it's because I'm still like actively involved um, working this out. So. Yeah, absolutely. So I am not arrived by any means. Yeah. All right, friends, we are going to end there. Um, we'll catch you next week with probably another episode on this very same thing, kind of talking through it, going through this book, going through what we've learned, how we've, um, excuse me, uh, kind of, progressed through some of this maturity again neither one of us have arrived okay neither one of us are there yet 
But I would argue that we're not going to get there because Paul said he hadn't arrived either. And if Paul hadn't arrived, then I don't know what hope we have. Just saying. <laughs> but um, we do so because we want maturity in Christ um, and have abundant life in him. So, mm-hmm. All right. Well, friends, God blesses us. Why? So we can so we bless can others. Bless others. All right, we'll catch you guys next time.